Hudler's awesome. Uh, man, I love, aren't you glad you came to worship today after that? Oh my goodness. I love Brandon Reisinger. He leads me. You know, um, our, our church is an autonomous church. Uh, we're an autonomous Southern Baptist church. Every church, every Southern Baptist church is autonomous. A lot of people don't understand that, but here's what that means, that, that we don't have anybody outside of us that's telling us what to do. It's our responsibility to kind of govern ourselves. And, um, and that's the heart of what it means to be a Southern Baptist church. And now we cooperate incredibly with uh, like-minded churches all over the nation and the world. And, it's, uh, and I love what we do corporately. It's so very important. Um, and, um, you know, um, last Sunday night, there's a vote going on. And for those of you that are members, I, I just want you to know about that. Remember that. remind you about that. Um, you know, I, I kind of shared a vision of how what we believe it's going to, what I believe it's going to take to get our Tulsa campus from inching to thriving. And that's the heart of this vote that's going on. And so um, I just want to remind you, Chad mentioned that on the video, that it closes at 2. So, you know... The heart of this vote is, is, is seeing that work in Tulsa thrive. And so that's something I pray you, you uh, if you're an eligible member, that, that's what it requires. So uh, I hope you, you can go to your app. You can go to the back there and get a ballot uh, tonight or today. But it closes it too. So I just wanted to remind you of that. You know, several years ago, I read this fascinating book called The Great Evangelical Recession. And uh, it's a fascinating book by this, this guy, Dickerson. John Dickerson is his name, and he's kind of a sociologist, pastor type. And uh, interesting guy, interesting book. And uh, in evangelical, that basically means the people in, like, our country that believe the Bible is the Word of God, that, that believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Um, you know, if you looked at their schedule, their, the, the local church is a part of their schedule in their life. That's what we mean by evangelical. We're not talking about just like, oh, I went to church on Christmas and Easter. Uh, true evangelicals are those that, that really believe the, the tenets or the points of the Bible. And uh, Dickerson makes the, the observation that, that evangelicals in America, uh, the numbers are inflated. That, that really his estimation that when it comes to those that really hold to the beliefs of the Bible, that it may be 7% of our country, maybe. It's fascinating. I think he may be right. Um, he also says that the, the, the church in America is bleeding. And his, he means by that, that, that we're just, um, uh, a lot of our young people, as they grow up, that they, they abandon the faith. And, and you, you hear a lot of terminology nowadays about deconstruction. There's a deconstruction of faith. And, um, and you know, used to the statistic was when our, when our children, they would leave church for a while, but then when they had children, they would come back to church. And, um, but Dickerson observes that's no longer the case. As, what we're seeing in, in our country. He also says that there's a coming bankruptcy in church. That, that because sev- his, his statistic is 70% of the tithes and offerings 
are from an older generation in a church. Younger people don't tithe. Don't, they're not financially mature, and they don't, they're not following that pattern. So he says in the future, the church is going to have a financial crisis, bankruptcy crisis. He also describes the church as sputtering, meaning that we're not reaching the lost like we once did, which I think is true. His fifth one, he, see, he articulates the church is, is hated. It's becoming more and more hated by culture. And, and uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of, um, of cultural situations turning against the church. And, and he anticipates, like, in the, in the coming days that um, there's going to be more targeting of the church. And then he finally warns, his final warning is that uh, the church is dividing. And, and, I, in our, and, and sometimes among my pastor friends, I see this, that, that we, we sometimes in our church life and evangelical life, we tend to, to fight each other versus um, really, you know, and, 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 and the reality is we don't know what to do. Sometimes we get together and we're like, how do you... How do you impact this culture? How do you impact the world we're in? And there's a lot of, um, you know, pastors are opinionated people, right? Uh, I know that. I mean, I, I can't. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, we, we've got to stop dividing and infighting and unite. That's what's important. Both, and that's true in, in, this, in this body and as we engage with other brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ outside of our body. Now, you know, it's interesting as Dickerson, I think he's right about a lot of these cultural trends, but, um, but what's cool about it and what's awesome about this is we're not helpless to stop these trends. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's guiding us. God's with us. The Spirit of God is with us. That's why I don't look at some of these things and flip out. I'm like, well, shoot, we're in a spiritual battle. And, and what God does every time in the spiritual battle that I've found is God just gives us power and wisdom. And I, I don't know, I read my Bible and his words like a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And, and so, so I look at this and I'm not, I, you know, I, I gotta, we gotta come together and figure it out, right? We gotta come together and duke it out with, a, with the spiritual enemy. But, but man, I, I'm thankful that the Lord sees us and the Lord walks with us. You know, as 2022 came into view, we, we began to look at our core values through the lens of these churches at Revelation. And, and today, we're going to look at our third core value that we're going to process. It's a core value of our church. And... Um, and, and it deals with community. If you have your Bibles, we're in Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to look at this church at Sardis. It's fascinating. Fascinating um, spotlight on this church. Now, the core value that we state it like this, and I want you to, imp- I want you to see this core value. It's something where we, we, without apology, are trying to push every one of our people to. And, it's a, and we state it like this, that we live, we live in authentic biblical community, that, that we, um, and, and community is kind of a buzzword, right? It, it's kind of like, uh, oh yeah, I know we live in community. Well, what that means is that, that we live life together. 
You know, church is not just about coming and watching a show. That's not what church is. Church is not about an entertainment. Church is about, let's, let's join together in life. Let's know one another. It's a travesty when I come, when churches become like going to the, going to the, the PAC or the, the, a show at, a show. It's not a show. We're like, we're living life together. We, we, we know one another. Think about this. Church is to push one another. Hey, look, if, if you're not pushed in your church, you're going to the wrong church, right? Because, because I, I don't know, I found that, that brothers that push me, oh, that's good for me. Um, we face adversity together. That's what church is. Now, that's God's plan for the local church. That's what community looks like. Now, let's pay attention to this message to Sardis. Fascinating message. Let's stand together and let's read God's word today. It says this. Question three, starting in verse one, we're going to go through verse six. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot, out, blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before Father and before his angels. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you. Maybe seated. Now, um, I don't. I don't like wear this as a badge. I mean, this is hard. But I, I, um, I, I finished my doctorate, um, and um, uh, but this may not surprise you. Even though I have doctor by my name in my office, um, I've never done an autopsy. Okay, I I can't prescribe you any medicine, so don't ask me. Uh, I've had some people ask me, but um, an autopsy is. It really means to see with one's own eye. That's what an autopsy means. And it's like the process of dissecting a, a body. Um, Robin's uncle, he's passed away now, but when he was in, he grew up as a, his father was a diplomat, and he actually got a corpse his senior year of college. I guess you could do that in Panama where he grew up. Um, but, but I've never done that. He worked on it all summer, and... and um, and, and, you know, it's interesting how those people that form, perform autopsies, they, they try to see how somebody dies. Well, in 2014, Tom Rainer, I'm like book happy today, book recommendation today. Uh, Tom Rainer wrote a book called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And, and he gave this fascinating snapshot 
as to what happens when churches die. And, and this was his autopsy. That when churches die, and I, I'm going to throw these bullets on the screen, and you can read the book if you want, but here's what he says. Um, not to be a spoiler, but, um, but he says that churches, when they die, they tend to treat the past as the hero. They, they refuse to adapt to the needs of their community. That's what happens when churches die. Um, they, they stop practice. Do we have that, Carl? I don't know if we have that. We don't have that. Never mind. We don't have it on the screen. My bad. Um, but let me, let me, if you want to write them down, it's this. They treat the past as the hero. They refuse to adapt to the needs of their community. That's what happens when churches die. They, they, they stop practicing the Great Commission. That's what happens when churches die. They, they move the focus of their budget inward. Um, they let the church become preference-driven. That's what happens when churches die. You know, it's interesting. Rayner observed that when churches die, they fail to have regular corporate prayer. That's fascinating. We need to learn to pray. They, they, the last thing he said, they obsess over the facilities, like fighting over the color of carpet and stuff like that, paint on the walls. And you know, when you look at Sardis here, really what's happening is it's an autopsy of a church. And, and Sardis, like today, if you go to Sardis, it's in ruins and, and, but, but in its day, it was an interesting city. It was like, it was like the first city to, uh, mint coins. That they were minting gold and silver coins, and that's what happened in, in Sardis. It was kind of one of those cities that looked good on the outside, but they really struggled. And, 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 you know, the people of Sardis were interesting because they were kind of equated with cowardice and, and laziness. Because there were three times the city was conquered. And, and the reason it was conquered, they just didn't prepare for battle. They just said, oh, well, it's okay. And they let their guard down. And, 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 you know, when you look at the message that Jesus gives to Sardis, he was the most harsh to this church than any of the churches. I want you to look at the end of verse 1. Look at, look at what it says. He says, but you think you're alive, but you're dead. I mean, wow. Man, how, I, I tried to think about how I would feel if that was Jesus' description of our church. Um, have you ever seen a church that died? I mean, I, th I think where that starts is it, it's the comfort zone, right? It, it's the, man, this is familiar and good, and I want it to stay that way. And, and that's a, I think churches that start to, to slip into death get, they start sanctifying their methods, and overlook the message. The message is sacred, right? The Bible is sacred. God has given us a, a the great commission is sacred, but, but our traditions can't be sacred. The way we do things uh, can't be sacred. We've got to be willing to, um, to discover new ways to connect with the world. And, and, and you know, I, I'm around death a lot. I have been in my life. And when I think about death of whether it's, um, you know, people I've been with, 
in the moment of, in death, comfort is the goal. That, that's what happens in death. And, and, and what I've discovered is that living is uncomfortable. Like my, my knee's better. I don't have any excuses now to not go work out. I, I need to exercise some more, you know, because living's not comfortable. And, 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 and sitting is comfort. And, and I think that's where Sardis was. When you think about how to stop a church, you resist growth in a church. You, you refuse to change in a church. You, you set tradition into concrete. You get inflexible and rigid. You, you do these things, and you know what? Death will come to a church. And, um, you know, if you've ever been a part of that, here's what happens in a church that is dying. There's no anticipation of God. There's no expectation that God has something to say to me. There's no steps of faith. And you know what else? As I was just praying through Sardis, there's also no authentic community. And, and that's why I think this, this is a great passage to process as we consider this core value. Um, you know, when you look at Sardis, um, in this passage, God's saying, Do you rem- don't you remember all the great things I've done for you in your past? Great. Great, quit looking there. Take your eyes off them. I don't want you living in the past. I'm still working in your life is what God is saying. Look at verse 2. He says, wake up. Look at this. It's fascinating. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Oh my goodness. When I I stopped there and, and felt that, in the midst of this very confrontational, dire warning, Jesus gives the most incredible statement to this church. And this is the statement, look, your works aren't done in my sight. How cool is that? How cool is that for a church to recognize, hey, he's not finished with us. Then he says, remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at at what hour I come against you. Now, let's let's think about this. Um, I want to give us three insights into what biblical community looks like. The first is this, as I, as I think about what true biblical community looks like, it, it's close enough to provide wise course corrections. That's what biblical community does in your life. This is why you need believers in your life. This is why you need brothers and sisters in your life. Jesus says, says wake up. Look, wake up. Did you know that we're, we're always going to need course corrections? Always, as a church. Um, you realize we're in a battle, a spiritual battle. And, and as the battle rages, 
happens, there's going to be unexpected things that happen. And we're going to have to come together and go, man, we got to make some course corrections here. It's kind of like the law of thermodynamics, you know, uh, and I'm not an expert in in physics and things, but, but, you know, things naturally move to disorder, don't they, right? Look at your room or your car, right? Um, your, I mean, someone told me today, I had an oil leak in my car. Well, okay, this orderly thing often moves to disorder. We got to fix it. We got to uh, work on it. And, 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 you know, things move naturally to disarray. And so as I think all of us need a spiritual brother or a sister to say, hey, I'm giving you a wake-up call. Wake up. There are, there are times all of us will need a wake-up call. And, 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 you know, what's the track a church should stay on? And I passionately believe this. This is the track that we've got to stay on. And, and, and I believe God has given two parameters for every church to stay on track and two rails to run on. And, and the first is evangelism. The second is discipleship. Those are two big tracks that we need to stay on in the life of our church reaching people, and then discipling people. Now, our purpose statement lays that out. How many of you think you could say our purpose statement confidently? Anybody? Raise your hand. If you think. I'm not going to call on you. I won't embarrass you. I mean, come on. Raise your hand. Uh, we got some work to do if, we, if this is all we got. Okay, our purpose statement is this. Let me, let me help us. It's to love all people to Christ, to equip them on their journey with God and one another. That's something I want in your heart. I, I think that provides the rails of, uh, you know, and alive churches have an evangelistic fervor. They're, they're passionate. They, they see people like Jesus sees people. Like in Matthew 9, he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. And, and, and so, like, when I think about uh, to make a course correction, to stay on track, we've got to be seeing the lost. And, and, and we've got to, uh, I want to have a goal for every person I know to come to Christ. Now, you may say, Chris, that's real. That's unrealistic. Not every person is going to come to Christ. You're right. They won't. But I'll tell you, uh, I pray that we are an aggressive church saying we will be aggressively sharing the gospel with the world. It's critical for us. And I'll tell you, it, it just frustrates the dog out of me when I, when I see some churches that, ha- that might as well put a sign on their door that says, you know, we got enough people here. We don't need any more. It's not, this can't be what we do. Sharing the gospel is our call. And, and seeing the lost come to Christ has got to just move us. And, and the second ac- aspect of our purpose statement, help one another on their journey with God and one another, is that discipleship uh, call that we walk together. We figure it out. And um, that's why Jesus says to Sardis, look what he says, strengthen what remains, he says. He says to this church, you got, a, you got some strength. you got some work to do. Strengthen what remains. In other words, he's saying, don't stagnate. Don't get comfy. Look, be a church that helps one another. Start growing stronger. Keep digging deeper. Keep growing from within. You grow, grow healthy and strong. I, th- I think this is what it means. Be a church that, that you have spiritual meat, that you can handle spiritual food. Learn to work together. Serve together. Go into this battle and figure it out. I love this. And... And, you know, we've got a responsibility of helping one another on our journey with God. 
And that's why you've got to know one another. You've got to walk together. And, and, and I've experienced the church do this. I've seen this both individually in my life. I mean, years ago, I've told this story before, but, but Jay McSwain was a, was a guy that I served on staff with. He wrote this Bible study called Place that, that, uh, it, he was writing it at my former church. And, and Paige Cole used to teach it here. And, and, uh, and some of you have gone through that. Well, Jay McSwain was the author of that, and he was at my church, and he called me one. He came by my office one day and says, hey, can I come to your house? I need to talk to you. And I was like, well, I got some time right now. He goes, no, I need to come to your house. I was like, okay. And uh, so we set a time, and he walked in the door, and he came into my living room, sat on my couch, and, and Robin was there, and he says, hey, uh, thanks for letting me come over. I, I just want you to know that your wife is hurting, and you don't have a clue. And you're not going to have a marriage or a ministry in five years if you don't stop what you're doing. And I was like, what? And I look over at Robin, and she starts crying. And then Jay goes, okay, I'll see you later. And he just walked out my door. And I'm thinking to myself, you punk. Come to my house. I couldn't whip him. He played football for Georgia. I couldn't have whipped him, but I was, I was mad. But you know what? He was right. You know what that started for me? A course correction. Thankfully, my kids were really young. I was trying to be the youth minister hero of the world. And I was neglecting my family. And the church knew me enough to go, dude, what are you doing? You know what that's called? Biblical community. That's called course corrections. And see, Sardis was in this situation that they weren't, they weren't able to do that. And let me tell you some folks, individually and corporately, let's prepare for a lifetime of course corrections. And you know what that requires? That's to know one another, to walk together. But you know, there's a second part of biblical community that I just can't get away from. And, and, um, and, and we build a community that's present enough to inspire the lost. Now, now think about that. We're, we're present with the Lord enough. We're present with each other enough. You, do you realize that a lost world's inspired by our relationships? By the way, we, we work things out. The way we come together and, and disagree and work things out. That's what inspires a lost world. You know that, right? Jesus said, John 17, 20 and 21, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also who, for those who will believe in me through their message so that they may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world would believe that you sent me. And it's the way we work out our problems and we are present together and, and that the lost says, man, you guys really love each other. You know, I see this with Judy. She does all of our, she's like the spearhead of our funeral meals. As we come together and love families, they, people, lost people said, why do you guys do this? Last night, <laughs> it's funny, I took my wife out on a date and uh, we come home and there are 20 plus teenagers in my living room and they're praying. Kids these days, what are they doing? 
And I, we walk in, we're like, hey, what's up? How's it going? And they're like, oh, and we're like, ooh, sorry, sorry. But you know what I found with that group of kids that meet at our house all the time? That it's their fellowship that lost kids are going, man, that's, man, what? That's cool. And, and you know what? I, I think that um, that's what Jesus has in mind for community and for our church. Sardis didn't have the kind of relationships that enabled course corrections. They didn't have the kind of fellowship that a lost world was like, we need that right there. Look at verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard and keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you. He says, remember what you received. Uh, you know, what, what have they done here? They, they've stopped looking to Jesus. They've stopped looking to Christ. And let me tell you something, all our lives, we need to look to the Lord and go, Lord, what do we do here? What do we do? Lead us. And, you know, here's what, here's what happens. When you look to the Lord, you start stewarding every gift you have, everything in your life. And, and you know, I just think it's fascinating to learn from the mistakes of Sardis. And there's another aspect of biblical community because I've got to roll it up here a little bit. And when I think about biblical community and I think the failure of Sardis, it feels like they were struggling, struggling with boldness. And if we're going to live in biblical community together, biblical community is bold enough to face adversity together. You know, a church that keeps his life is bold enough to obey the Lord all the time. All the time. And um, no matter what kind of pressures, no matter what kind of challenges that are there, we're going to stay on those two tracks of evangelism, discipleship. We're going to obey the Lord. And let me tell you, I, I, you know what I'm, I wrestle with as a pastor? Is am I bold enough to obey the Lord wherever he leads? You know what we need to be as believers? Bold enough to obey the Lord. And, I, and I, you know, we got to be a church that pushes one another, that knows one another to go, look, let's be bold enough to obey the Lord. Let's remember that God's in control. That, that the Lord leads us. That it's the Lord's work that we're doing, not ours. You, you know, when I, there's a verse that I skipped in my, earlier in my, sermon, in my notes here, but, but I think it's applicable. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is a temptation for God's people. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 through 12, he says to God's people, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you, are, when you eat and are full, 
then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of, slave, land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You know, we have a tendency sometimes to, we, we can't ever forget the Lord, right? We must never be a church that forgets the Lord and, and, and to think that, hey, look what we did. Look at our power. Look at our strength. Look at our stuff. Man, that's, boy, that's going to be a travesty. That's the path to death. And, and you know, yeah, we're to plan. Absolutely. We're to, we're to make calculations. We're to, we're to wrestle. That's what I love about where we are as a church right now. We're wrestling. We've got to wrestle through these things. And this won't be the last time. By golly, we're going to wrestle till we're, we're going to be in this battle till we're in heaven. And man, that's what I love about these churches at Revelation. Because they always point to heaven. Listen, let's look back at this passage. At the end of this passage. As it says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. I think that's a gruesome picture. I think that's a, a picture of they, they, they lost their faith. They chickened out. They quit being bold. I won't graphically explain that. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Oh, my goodness. My life has been so impacted by sudden tragedy. I'm not sure I have tomorrow. But today, I want to walk with the Lord. Man. Don't you want to be a part of a church that's pushing you to live such a life that you're like, hey, we walked worthy. That when we stand before the Lord, he's like, yeah, well done there. Verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Such a, that's a picture of Forgiveness. And that, that's such a, 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 like, like I was moved with Brandon today as he talked about God's forgiveness. Because I, often when I'm worshiping or I'm about to get up and preach, you know what I think about? I think about all the mistakes I've made sometimes. My past comes back to me. But then I remember, oh man, Jesus, you forgave me of my past. That gives me power. That white garment thing, that's about God's forgiveness that's undeserved. He says, I'll never blot his name out of the book of life. Man, heaven's certain. I will confess his name before my father and his angel, before his angels. Now, this is not about, oh, look how cool I am. It's about being faithful with what God has called us to. And I love verse 6, and it's such a, 
It's such a, a, a pause for us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, every, every week this year, we're going to have a mission life challenge. And here's something I want to challenge you to do in your life this week, starting today. And yeah, it's going to require some work and some effort on all of us. But the mission life challenge is this, is to engage in a small group. Do you know we have small groups in our church? Do you know where it starts? It starts Sunday morning. It starts, that's where they start. I, I love it that we have groups you can go to today. And, um, but, but, but engage in a small group. Let's not build a church here that doesn't know one another. I'm so grateful that Jay McSwain could see beyond all my youth ministry numbers and how good it looked on paper and how slick it was and how, how the cool parties we threw and the, and the momentum we had in all of our schools. And, and, and man, it was, it was happening. He was able to look through all that and go, hey, dude, you're, you're missing it. And that prediction, that revelation, that confrontation is one of the reasons why I'm standing here today. And I did have a ministry and a marriage five years later. And, and man, I'm thankful that, that we didn't have kids in our family that resented their dad for pastoring everybody else and forgetting them. Because though that's always been a temptation because of this woman in the church. God's helped me. Let's live in community, guys, as a church. Let's walk together. Let's jump right smack in the middle of this spiritual battle. You know, there's life here. There's life in this church. All around, I see life. But I confront a passage like Sardis and realize we could blow it. And I don't look at that as a moment of fear. I look at that as, all right, let's roll up our sleeves Let's get after it. And that's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of church we must be, and that's the kind of church we got to be together. Do we have things to figure out? Oh, man, you bet. But let's figure it out. Are you, will you? Invest in community. 
Today, you go to a group outside, Brad, and I think Casey's not out there. She has COVID, I think. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, sorry. Um, uh, we're, we'll help you. We'll help you. Jump into a group today. There's, there's a thing called the hub out there. You could go figure out how to do that. Now, Brandon's going to come, and we've got to have an invitation today. We're going to have, we're going to, don't got to. Yeah, we got to. We got to have an invitation. You know why? Because God moves us to respond every time. And let's, let's lean into the Lord. Maybe there's somebody you need to pray about confronting. Man, do that. Let's pray about that. Maybe, maybe you need to pray about your response to being confronted. That's okay. It's worth it. Let's lean into the Lord today. Father, this invitation we give to you. Lord, there may be some lost people in this room or watching online that there's something in their heart drawing them. And that's you, Lord. I thank you for drawing and speaking. And I pray, Father, that we would be a church that is alive. And that this life that comes through us would impact the lost, would encourage our brothers and sisters around us, outside of us. Lord, may we be a faithful church. And may we always turn to you. Always. And we'll trust you, Lord. We'll trust you. Lead us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for you?